Hey everyone, it's Hannah. Just a couple of things up top before we get into this episode. First and foremost, we wanted to provide a content warning because we will be discussing school shootings, so just proceed with caution if that's something that might be upsetting to you. Also, this episode unfortunately has some background traffic noise because Sarah lives on a busy street and we're still recording remotely because of the pandemic. I tried to reduce it as much as I could, um, but hopefully you'll forgive us for that background noise. Uh, So with all that said, let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to The Queers Are Watching. I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And we're back after another very long hiatus. <laughs> so It's been a quarantine year, don't judge us. Yeah, sorry about that. It's It's been a lot. I'm sure it's been a lot for y'all too. Um, but you know us, we like to show up when you are least expecting it. And hopefully it adds like a little brightness to your day, but I can't be 100% sure. Yeah, like, who would expect the beginning of 2022 that we would be back? Like, can we even call this the beginning anymore, though? Like, we're in, we're quite yeah. a ways into February. But... We're in February. February is the beginning. I think, like, January through March, beginning of the year. Solid. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So shall we uh, jump right into this movie that we watched? We're going to talk about The Fallout 2021. It's rated R. It's an hour and 36 minutes. And it's, I think it's exclusively on HBO Max. Like, if you don't have HBO Max where you live, they have some other contract with other people, but it's on HBO Max. Um, it's directed by Megan Park, and this is her directorial debut. It stars Maddie Ziegler of Sia and Dance Moms fame, and Jenna Ortega of Jane the Virgin and Scream fame. IMDb has it at a rating of 7.10 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 93%, and the audience score is at an 83%. That's pretty big. And the Metacritic has it at an 84, and the user score is at a 7.3. I don't know why they do their rating system differently, but that's what it says online, so. Um, yeah, like, number one, couldn't believe this is from someone doing their directorial debut. Uh, number two, these young actresses are amazing, and I can't believe it has high ratings. Um, I really liked it, so spoiler alert on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked it too, I think... I don't know. I I guess my expectations were really high because I did see the ratings before I watched it. And this was yet another instance in which I picked the movie that my parents and I were going to watch. And then, like, I didn't know that it would be queer at all. So. Always. Always. Always that. It gets yeah Every uh-huh. time. What made you want to pick it? Um, I had been wanting to see it because I kept hearing that it was really good. So, like, I had seen a review about it um, that I didn't read. I just saw that it was, like, a positive review. And then a couple people were talking about it on Twitter, saying it was really good. So I was just like, okay, like, this seems, you know, like, something I would want to see. I'd been putting it off for a while because it is very heavy. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't sure if I could handle that kind of content. But I made it through it. So it was a rough one. I cried, like, four times throughout this movie. Uh, yeah it was a lot a lot a lot um for everyone who doesn't know because i didn't read a synopsis this time it's about a school shooting and the way um teenage these particular teenagers um deal with the emotional turmoil that follows that so hence the title of the movie (laughs) it is kind of dark but i think 
there was something about the direction I think that was really personal like the touches of like the handheld camera during like conversations were very intimate and they added something to that feeling of being like in emotional turmoil or like seeing the active shooter situation importantly like you never see the shooter you never see a gun in this movie um there is blood but like you don't see someone dying so it doesn't feel exploitative I think and I think that's why I really like was open to it because like going into it I was like oh I don't know is this gonna be like this is an action thriller about American school shootings but it wasn't like that so yeah and I did I did know that going in like I had seen someone say um that the shooting happens right in the beginning of the movie and after that there's nothing like that again um and i think that it was definitely a choice and i think a successful one to show like the side of the traumatic experience of a school shooting that people don't really think about as much which is like the people that never even saw the shooter never even saw what was happening but you know we're still having just the experience of being there and hearing what was happening. And I mean, obviously, Quentin did see more than the other two, but... Yeah. So Quentin is uh, one of the um, characters. Um, so we have Veda, who's the main character, Mia. Um, and Mia's like the Instagram influencer of high school or whatever. Mia's one of the popular girls, but I think she's, you know, not in that stereotypical teen movie way. Like, she wasn't, like, mean or, like, even very social. Like, she seemed kind of quiet and, like, she was just doing her thing and she's a famous dancer on Instagram and has a lot of followers. But um, I also think it's interesting that, like, Veda and her friend Nick, like, kind of make fun of her, like, behind her back, like, to be like, oh she's that dumb pretty popular girl like whatever and they don't even know her i mean that's what you do when you're like the high school misfit like veda is this teeny tiny little girl and she like wears oversized clothes and she looks a little gay i'm gonna tell you from the beginning (laughs) like i thought she was a little bit tomboy i thought that too but then i couldn't tell if that was just like the gen z yeah i couldn't yeah, there was something about it that I didn't really know, but her best friend is Nick, and he's gay, so. Yes. Um, he also, sorry, no offense to that actor, he looks so, so old compared he to everyone does. else. Oh my god, okay, so they look really fucking young, and like, uh, Maddie Ziegler and Jenna Ortega are both, I think they were 19, um, or 18 at the time of shooting, so they're fine, like, they, they look really, really young, but Mm, no the guy that plays nick absolutely not i think everyone else in the movie like that's supposed to be in high school looks like they're in high school but this guy like i'm not trying to say he's like ancient or anything but he just looks way too old to be in high school like he looks like yeah college his name is will rupp by the way yeah so if you want to google him or instagram him it's w-i-l-l-r-u-p-p um he looks like he could be like in a like early 20s movie about like finding yourself as gay in new york or something like that's exactly (laughs) his vibe (laughs) 
I don't know. It was just a weird casting choice, especially because mm-hmm. like all the other castings seemed so spot on. And yeah, like again, so young. no shade against him. Like he's very cute and he's a good actor, but mm-hmm. he just it was, he was, it was a weird choice. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but he he does a good job. Like it, it didn't take me out of it the whole time. To be fair. It took me out of it, but not as much as something else took me out of it, mm. which is the fact that Mia's parents never show up the entire movie. And, like, I'm sure that does happen, but it just seems extra wild that, like, she went through a school shooting and we don't even see her so much as, like, speak to one of her fathers, mm-hmm. which is kind of wild. I mean... Like, I think that didn't take me out of it, like, for realism's sake, but it did make me really upset with the portrayal of gay people in this movie in general. Because, like, Nick is kind of an asshole about, like, the way he channels how he feels about the school shooting. He becomes an activist, and he's like, why can't you do that? And we should be doing something. And he's, like, on CNN, and he just becomes this, like unstoppable force about it and not it's not necessarily portrayed in a good way and then the only other gay people that we like know of before you find out that veda and mia hook up and i don't the question about whether they're gay or not will come up later (laughs) but the only other gay people we know of that are explicitly gay are mia's parents she says like oh my dads are artists and they're never here they're always traveling they're always in europe we never see them. Clearly, they adopted a child, like, or it's one of their biological children, and they just don't give a shit. They're leaving their 16-year-old at home by herself. And after she experiences a school shooting, they don't come home, neither yeah. of them. That doesn't make, they sound like really bad parents. Yeah, and I, I was thinking the exact same thing as you. Like, there's kind of a weird, like, negative portrayal of gay men specifically which i think is interesting Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's coming from a personal experience place for um do you know if do you know if um she wrote the script oh yeah it says she wrote it yeah so i don't know if that was like from her personal experience like she has a some kind of weird issue with gay men or like it was just a coincidence but yeah i felt like if it was either nick or the neglectful parents i could have like dealt with it but like both of them really and like to be clear nick is not like a horrible person or whatever like he just i think like in a very like young teenagery way like his way of dealing with the trauma is one thing and he kind of just doesn't realize that other people are going to deal with it differently than him he like can't handle Mm -hmm. that like he just thinks everyone should do what he's doing Mm -hmm. so i don't think like he's a bad person or anything but definitely like kind of comes off as selfish at times Mm -hmm. i think he kind of like takes his trauma out on beta i think which is something a teenager would do processing something that enormous and traumatic but it is not a positive portrayal yeah and, like, he he also is mean to her about the fact that she's hanging out with Mia because, like, they used to make fun of her. And so he's like, oh, ew, you're hanging out with her? Like, I can't believe that. Yeah. And I can totally understand that as, like, a knee-jerk reaction, especially because they're young. But, like, after a while of, like, her clearly being friends with her, you would think, like, 
okay, now it's time to accept that they're going to be friends and just Mm -hmm. get over it. But he, like, cannot get over it, so. Especially because it seems like she told him, like, Veda told him what happened. Um, So what does happen, for those that haven't seen it, is that in the beginning of the movie, um, Veda gets a text from her younger sister, who she seems to be really close with in the beginning of the movie. And... Um, it says, like, emergency, 911, call me. So she, like, steps out of class to answer a call, and she, like, calls her sister and asks, like, what's what's wrong, what happened? And her sister tells her, like, oh, she got her period. And then she's like, oh, you can't 911 me about your period. But then, like, they have, like, a really touching moment where they say they're gonna get dinner and talk about it, and they're making plans for the future. Um, and Veda goes to the restroom, because she's already out of class, and that's where she runs into Mia, and Mia is, like, doing her makeup, and she's like, oh, it's class picture day. Um, she's, like, making herself, like, she's contouring her abs. Like, not when Veda can see. Like, it's a secret. Like, she clearly cares a lot about what she looks like. And you see their personalities. They look so different. And when Veda comes out of the restroom, like, they are going to start to have a conversation. And then they hear shooting. And so they run into a stall together, and they hide together, on standing on a toilet together. And, um, someone else comes in. They don't know if it's the shooter or not, but then it's revealed that it's someone they both mutually know. And they tell him, like, because they don't want him to be alone in the stall next to him to come over into their stall. He comes over and he's covered in blood and he says it's his brother's. And it turns out his brother dies and he was there when he died. Um, so it is very, very traumatic. Like, you don't see the shooting. You hear it. You don't see people dying, but you know it. And these three people are trauma bonded together that wouldn't have spoken to each other maybe otherwise. Um, And it sounds to me like it's not explicitly, there's no scene that says this, but it sounds like Veda had explained like what she was doing when that was happening and that Nick knows that and he should be maybe a little bit more respectful or even open to her talking to them. Yeah, and I mean... It goes beyond that even like yeah obviously the trauma bonding thing like maybe a teenager wouldn't necessarily know about that although these days I feel like it's a pretty common discussion on the internet but he's very controlling of like who she's hanging out with and how she's reacting like Mm -hmm. it's just it's not what you want in a friend but I do think that that is something that's very realistic about this movie is that unlike other teen movies where like the best friends always reconcile and like they always are together in the end and it's like oh you're the one thing that I have or whatever like these friends drift apart like they are not friends anymore basically and like Veda kind of processes that a little bit with her therapist towards the end of the movie like I wish that we could still be friends but we just can't right now Mm -hmm. her therapist is played by Shailene Woodley by the way random person to pop in there it is and her mom is julie bowen (laughs) yeah it is wild because like i still think of shailene woodley as like so young but she's not like yeah she's our age so (laughs) my bad and then i'm like picturing myself sitting there like as a therapist to a child who went through a school shooting and i'm like oh no (laughs) one scene that really like the first scene when i started tearing up was 
the brilliantly done scene where she goes to her first funeral, places the like funeral program in that little box, mm-hmm. and then you just see more and more pile up of all the kids that died. It's so fucked up. And all the funerals she went to. The fact that she went and she was so, like, she was in a very, very depressed state. And she got up and went to these funerals, like, says a lot about the kind of person Veda is, I think. And she showed up for, oh my god, what is his name? Quentin? Quentin, I think. Yeah, she showed up for Quentin, the guy that was in the stall with her, whose brother had died. And he's like, thank you guys for coming. And then she was like, of course. Like, you know, like, they felt a responsibility to show up for each other. And I thought that was really great. And I definitely cried then, too. It shows how bonded they are because they didn't really know each other beforehand. Mm. Like, they both knew him, like, knew who he was and everything, but it seemed like they weren't close before at all, so... Yeah, like, they didn't have his number is something that was mentioned. Yeah, so after this happens, like, the fact that they're showing up to his brother's funeral, I think, yeah, does say something about both her and Mia. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There was just something about this movie that was so right i can't describe it like the drug use and the alcohol abuse was right and i know it sounds fucking weird but like i guess like some people cope with becoming like an activist to control their environment like nick did and some people experiment with like drugs and sex like feel something positive like beta and mia did and the fact that like they didn't turn into like wild fucking drug addicts like not everyone is fucking euphoria so (laughs) Like, I think that was a good, interesting portrayal of teenagers. Yeah, and, like, you're so used to, like, the very cliche scene of, like, taking drugs at a party or drinking at a party. And, like, Mm -hmm. this is showing, like, a way that I think it happens much more often of, like, no, like, you're by yourself and you decide to try E and go to class. Like you take, you drink your parents' wine when they're not there. Yeah, it's, it's, (laughs) it's the quieter stuff like that that I think is more realistic than the like oh like my friend at a party just like offered me cocaine so (laughs) not that that doesn't happen but but yeah it's just like that that would have been such a cliche way to handle that Mm -hmm. but they showed like they really emphasize like her veda's drug use in particular is because she's trying to feel something anything Mm -hmm. because she can't she can't feel anything yeah Oh my god, when she, like, tells her dad, like, I can't feel anything, and they're, like, alone together, and they're, like, they're kind of, like, in a foresty, parky area, and, like, he, like, they start yelling together in this, like, very therapeutic way, like, life fucking sucks, and I can't feel anything. I was definitely crying, because, you know, anything with, like, a dad being good to a kid gets me. See, I hated that scene, and I would have cut it from the movie, and I think it would have made the movie stronger. Yeah, it was too corny. It was too cringy. I think it was hard for me, too, to to kind of deal with the fact that her parents were kind of so aggressively supportive, like, Mm -hmm. that it kind of bothered me a little bit. Like, (laughs) because we got these two extremes, right, of, like, Mia's parents who are never, ever there and, like, Mm -hmm. don't do anything, and then Veda's parents that are just so supportive, and I'm like, I don't don't know, it felt a little too caricature-ish for me. Um, And I just, it was just too corny for me, I couldn't handle it. I think I liked it because the dad, like, 
didn't really say or do much and like he was kind of like acting on like what the mom wanted and the mom was like incredibly overbearing and like she specifically says like oh my mom's very white she is mixed race her dad is latinx of some sort and her mom is white um and that feels like <laughs> like when she um yelled at her mom to like leave her alone and like <sighs> like you would never do that in a latinx household like without either it blowing up into a fight or like just not doing it at all so i just thought like that juxtaposition of like her parents being like one like the only way he can open up is through this like dramatic thing of like yelling aggressively and the other one being like super overbearing was really indicative of her being biracial okay i see that i think i just wish that the dad would have been in the movie more if they were going to do that scene because it it felt to me like an afterthought kind of of like oh we need to like have a scene with the dad i think that's just latinx dads like they're just not emotionally available they're an afterthought (laughs) they are an afterthought as one who has a latinx dad he is an afterthought (laughs) great well you heard it here first (laughs) Ooh, we're getting canceled again it's always me (laughs) i i doubt it's always you sometimes it's me i'm sure i doubt it (laughs) oh my god the other part where i really cried was um when she was in the stall hiding from the shooter she had texted and i thought she was texting 911 because i know you can do that now in certain Mm -hmm. places um later on when her little sister like finally approaches her and she's like you're really distant why don't you like me anymore is it because i almost got you shot because she was the reason she was out of her classroom um she explains to her like she's not mad at her she's nothing like that and that that's why she texted her in the middle of that day saying I love you because she thought that that was going to be the last person she ever talked to and she wanted it to be her sister and I was like sobbing and I don't even have a sister like (laughs) yeah it was really sad to like because I knew the whole time like it was very obvious that her sister felt her pulling away and was hurt by it Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was kind of like a reveal that the sister felt guilty for calling her because I never even thought about it that way. I thought if anything that she like saved her because I was like, who knows if he's like busting in a classrooms and shooting, like Mm -hmm. we don't really know for a fact what happened because we don't see it. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of surprised that her sister was like, Oh yeah. Like I almost got you killed. Like what? Yeah. So can we talk about the gay element? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about that because, you know, surprise. And once again, (laughs) like this was this was very similar to the experience that I had watching Kajillionaire in that I like kept picking up on things, but then just thinking that I was projecting. (laughs) So projecting your little queer feelings onto it. Yeah, because like, okay, when she looks all like tomboy, like baggy clothes, whatever, I was like, is she gay or is that just oh no that's probably just gen z fashion like they like the baggy look they like like to look like billy eilish yeah that's the (laughs) billy eilish look like oh no big deal but then when she was watching mia's instagram video Mm -hmm. like the way that she was watching it i was like hmm like she had a little crush yeah a little bit yeah, I only knew that some gay stuff happened because of you. So I went into it knowing that. So, like, again, like, same with Kajillion and I. Like, I knew that because of you. So I would have been really surprised otherwise. 
Yeah, like I wasn't surprised in the moment before it happened because like mm-hmm. it was obvious yeah. that it was going to happen then but yeah that was lead up for sure yeah so here's the question do you think both or either of them are queer i don't know i mean statistically um most of their generation identifies as queer like there's like a giant proportion like it's way more explosive than any other generation so possibly but they do sleep together after going through a traumatic event together. Like, are they just trying to feel something with each other? Like, that could happen with two straight people. They could sleep together thinking, like, oh, we have this trauma bond. And then afterward thinking, like, that was a mistake. Like, we definitely shouldn't have done that. Um, neither of them seem to think it was a mistake. But they don't know what to do with those feelings, I think. So, and that might have a lot to do with, like, inexperience. I don't know how intentional that was that like we don't really know even how Veda feels about it mm-hmm. like because at the towards the end of the movie they basically have a conversation and decide like let's not ruin our friendship and then I saw I saw a review in which the reviewer mentioned like right after they say that they go right back to cuddling which is like yeah not necessarily a romantic thing mm-hmm. but but if I was trying to rebuild a friendship with someone I accidentally have sex with I don't know that I'd do that yeah unless i had feelings for them i guess but they are teenagers so that is exactly what you do (laughs) you're like oh no we shouldn't (laughs) i just (laughs) i feel like i feel like veda going to mia's dance class and waiting for her afterward and stuff like i feel like that to me is very like like she was kind of reaching beyond I know, I know it sounds silly but it kind of sounds like she was reaching beyond friendship with her like as much as she's doesn't know what's going on with herself I think she wants to explore whatever she had with Mia yeah and I think that's also like why the absence of Mia's father's feels very convenient I guess because like I feel like a lot of this wouldn't have happened if her dad's either one of them had been around because like part of the whole thing is like Mia has absolutely no support. She has no support mm-hmm. system whatsoever. Like, it's kind of implied that she doesn't even really have, like, close friends. Because at one point, like, Veda asks her, like, who do you hang out with at school? And she basically says, like, oh, I just kind of float around. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't really belong to any particular group. Yeah, and she says it's because she's not always there. Yeah. So I don't know if she just, like, doesn't go to school because she doesn't want to or... Like, at some point it's mentioned, like, um, Veda asked when she's going back to school after the shooting, and she says, I don't know, my dad said that I could do homeschooling as long as I want. So, unclear. And I, like, I have, like, logistical questions about this kind of stuff, because I'm like, first of all, can't, like, is it legal to, like, leave your child by themselves for, like, an extended period of time with no one there? Like, I think it is if they're past a certain age or something okay Unclear. and then like can your child really be homeschooled like if i mean i guess yeah in this day and age of like virtual learning or whatever but it just seems it just seems wild to be like oh yeah i'm gonna be homeschooled when no one's ever home like it's just me like well i don't with know a homeschooling like 
traditional homeschooling, like if you're thinking like uh, crazy Christian people who teach their kids that evolution doesn't exist, their parents sit down and teach them as you would if you had like a really small child. But when you're in high school and you do homeschooling, you can go through like a program that's um, like valid to the state and they give you packets of work and a book and you read the book and you do the packet and if you do it fast, you graduate tomorrow. Like there's no rules to it. There's no like, it's not the same. So she could literally, like, go through a thing and just, like, do the packet and be like, I homeschooled. Like, she doesn't need anyone to teach her. And you can always go in there and they have tutors and stuff. And be Shit, like, I, I should know. have done that. Yeah, it's actually, like, a really fast way to pass high school, like, even without taking the GED. I could have been out of there. Goodbye. And they teach you, like, the same stuff. Like, my friend did a homeschool course and she was like, oh, can you help me with my English homework? And it was all the same things I was learning in school, but it was, like, in a packet that she had to get done by a certain amount of time. So, like, if you, I was the kind of kid, like, when I got a packet, it gave me anxiety not to have it finished. So I would finish it, like, in the same day. So I would have graduated in, like, two seconds. I was the person that immediately lost the packet and had to, oh, like, no. sheepishly <laughs> go ask for another one. And they'd be like, again? Or I'd, like, I'd pull, like, the wrinkliest, like, crumpled <laughs> packet out of my backpack and be like, uh, here. That really surprises me because you were such a good student. I was a good student, but I've always been, I don't even know what the word is, like a disaster. Like, <laughs> like I have always been like smart and capable, except in math. Um, oh, same. <laughs> but I was never organized at all. I was that person, like my locker, I looked like a hoarder. Like my locker was a hoarder <laughs> house, like the amount of trash and paper that was just piled all the way up to the top was ridiculous. I never went to a high school with lockers, so I never got to experience that. Well, except for gym. Um, but I didn't, like... Like, my backpack had, like, a bunch of, like, old crap stuffed in it. But it was, like, an organized mess. Like, I had, like, folders and stuff, and they had, like... I never threw anything away, because I was, like, a pack rat. So it was a mess. But something was in there. You'd be able to find it if you really looked. <laughs> See, I, I always started out with really great intentions at the beginning of the year. I had folders and binders and stuff. But at a certain point, I just kind of, they would give me <laughs> homework and I would just kind of stuff it down in the backpack and zip it, it up. Also, like, um, in my, I guess this was like part of my school district, but in my middle school and my high school, they made us keep an agenda and they wanted you to like have better learning and study habits or something. So they made you use an agenda and like they would make it part of um certain teachers like curriculum to say like okay you have homework it's due on friday put it in your agenda everyone pull out your agenda and write it down like oh yeah, yeah. i in middle school for sure there were certain teachers it wasn't a school-wide thing but there were certain teachers that would make you write down the homework and the assignments and the agenda and then they would check it and literally you would get points oh for writing down correctly they were sick and tired of your shit yeah <laughs> they Ugh. said you're not gonna say that I didn't tell you about this because I know that I did. But anyway, this has been a long tangent about what we were like in school. <laughs> um, to get back into that, I have a kind of school shooter story from middle school. So I went to school in like a really, really bad area. Like there were gangs and like there's less now. It's like more um, gentrified. But I went to school in like a predominantly Latinx area. Um, but I love the shit out of that city. Like... I go hard for it, so I'm not even sorry. <laughs> but there was a lot of crime, and I would, like, stay after school and hang out with friends and do whatever. And this is in middle school, so I think I was in, like, eighth grade. 
Um, and we were like sitting on this little grassy area in front of the office and it was after everyone had left. So maybe it had been like an hour. Um, and then one of the like office workers came out and she was like, everyone get into the, um, cafeteria slash theater. So we like ran in there and then we were like, what's going on? And she was like, oh, we just have to wait until the police say we could come out. And we're like, what? And like some people were like, well, I'm just going to go home then. And she's like, no, you can't leave the building. Um, so then we got scared and we were like, what is going on? Um, then we were like, we, the longer we stayed in there, the more we like joked about it because we didn't know what was going on. We did hear like helicopters and like then we were just given the okay to come out and we all went home. They didn't tell us what happened. We went home the next day, we came back, and they had, like, and I guess someone found out that there was a man with a gun who was running from the police, and he ran through our school to get to the other side of, like, the neighborhood, um, and he was, like, an active shooter, and they were, like, afraid he was going to shoot any kids that were on campus, so, like, any drill team cheerleaders, basketball players, whatever, whoever was there, band members, had to, like, go into a building and be on lockdown, um, and I remember being like scared after the fact because, um, that was after Columbine and mm-hmm. like at that point, like I grew up in the time of Columbine, like I was 10 when Columbine happened and immediately, immediately we had, um, wild like training that was mm-hmm. like, here's what you do if you have an active shooter. Um, tr- the training obviously is better now, I think, um, but we, like, I remember they, like, tried to instill it in us so much, I guess because we lived in a crime-ridden area. Um, they had cops come in and, like, pretend to be the active shooter. And if you, like, weren't where you were supposed to be, they would be like, oh, you're dead now. So you have to pretend you're dead and lie on the floor. And no one knows where you're at. You're dead because you didn't go into a classroom or a bathroom or something. Um, they would, like, walk by the windows and bang on the windows as they were walking by. Like... I don't know what the point of traumatizing us was. Like, they could have just told us what to do. (laughs) But I remember being very afraid of school shootings as a child. Like, very Mm -hmm. afraid. Yeah. When I was in elementary school, we had a situation like that where someone was running from the police. And I guess they didn't know if he had a weapon or not. Like, they Mm. thought he might have a weapon. So we had to lock down. I think I was in, like, third grade or fourth grade or something. And, like... I, I, this is, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but I feel like he ran through the campus and he was naked at one point, apparently. <laughs> and I don't know. Absolutely if, not. <laughs> I don't know if he did have a gun on him or not. Like, I'm guessing not because I don't remember it being a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. after it was over, like, I think he just ran through the campus and that was it. Mm-hmm. But very wild. And I do remember we had drills all the time because I remember, like, thinking that that was a drill like Mm -hmm. because we had done it so many times of like we're gonna turn all the lights out and we're all gonna like get down on the floor so very weird but that brings us back to the movie that we're trying to discuss (laughs) before all our tangents another really heartbreaking scene i think was when like veda is sitting through an active shooting like seminar basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just like spacing the fuck out because how could you not and it's just like this guy like up there giving a fucking powerpoint like to like a bunch of traumatized kids yeah and they're like okay guys for when this inevitably happens again this is what you'll do (laughs) yikes yeah 
Um, speaking of which, let's talk about the ending. Okay. Because in the end, as Sarah said, um, Veda goes to like wait outside Mia's dance class for her to get out. And she's very like clearly doing a little better. Like she's feeling a little better. Mm-hmm. And then she gets a notification on her phone that there's been a school shooting um, somewhere else. I forget where it's said, but. Ohio. Yeah. Um, and she starts having a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. It's obviously very sad, but it's also very realistic of like this trauma never goes away and it can never really heal because it's constantly you're constantly being re-traumatized over and over again. Yeah, I think that was a really honest way to portray like trauma and grief. Like like we know that Veda isn't okay like because she has the panic attack, but like I think it was a really realistic way to show like growth and then grief process. Yeah, because the idea that that we know now that I think is much more talked about now is that like it's not a straight line like you don't just like get better and better and that's it like you'll have ups and downs and Mm -hmm. there will be things that happen that trigger you and you'll go right back to feeling the way you did for a while but like I think the idea at the end is like she does have more of a support system and she has been through this before so she can probably do better this time at surviving through it yeah and like that's really sad and depressing that that's the reality but that is the reality of i think gen z like more so than us Mm -hmm. um because like yeah we heard about a lot of school shootings but i think much more have happened um in the past like 10 or 15 years yeah and that probably has a lot to do with like access to guns yeah and of course, like at the end of the movie, in like a really sad, re-traumatizing moment for her, they play a very sad and powerful song um, by Lennon and, and Maisie Stella. Um, and if you don't know who Lennon and Maisie Stella are, they um, were this like sister duo that got their start on YouTube. And then they were on, I can't remember what it's called, but it was that country show on ABC for a while. It was uh, a drama. Nashville? Nashville, Yes. And they were, like, some of the singers on Nashville. Um, and now they both have separate um, singing careers. But they do songs together sometimes still. And that was a very sad song. Yeah, it was really sad. <laughs> Too sad. Also, did you see in the credits that they had a COVID-19 compliance officer? Like, what a time to be alive. That's wild. There was three of them. It was, like, a team. Well... I guess that makes sense. That's good, but also, like, scary. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate this movie? I'm gonna give it, like, a solid 8.5. Wow. It was good. I'm gonna give it a 7. As usual. You're such a harsh critic. I mean, 7's good. It is pretty good for you. I'm gonna say that. (laughs) Yeah, like, it was... It was good. There was stuff that I would have changed. But... for Yeah, like you said, for a debut, pretty Mm -hmm. great. Acting was great. Casting was great, except for poor Nick. Yeah, like, it's not his fault he looks, like, 24. Like, 24 in television years is, like, 
40. So <laughs> yeah, and like that's the thing if he was on like some show on like the CW or whatever where there's teenagers, like they would all look like that, so it would be fine. Yeah. But like in the context of this movie where everyone else actually looked like they were in high school, it was very jarring. Yeah. Agree, agree, agree. But yeah, I think it was I think it was solid. Oh, I think the um Jenna Ortega does a really good job of portraying like a regular regular teenager. Like she was just trying to I don't know, have fun and have experiences and feel something and work through her trauma and be a good friend and she was trying to do it all at once and I I think she conveys that really well. Um, she is in the new Scream movie, which I have not seen yet, which is a big surprise because I'm a huge fan of the franchise. I just haven't gone to the movie theater because of COVID. Um, I want to see that, too, and see her in it. Okay, well, shall we give, like, a little roundup of, like, any TV we've been watching, stuff like that? Yeah, you start. What have you been watching? Don't ask me to start. Um, <laughs> okay, I... I'm only two episodes into Station Eleven. Okay. Which is also on HBO Max. And Sarah, I think you would love it. Which one is that? It's about a pandemic, so it's a little hard to watch right now, okay. maybe. Okay. <laughs> um it's based on a book that came out like a while ago. So it okay. it just happens to be about a pandemic that happens to happen in like twenty twenty, which is interesting. But mm-hmm. um it's very weird so far, I'll say. Um, I think you would like it, though, because it's very pretty and it's kind of unsettling. I, I really like it so far, but it is a lot to deal with um, okay. because of the pandemic theme. So that's um, going on the back burner. <laughs> yeah, nothing super queer in it. There is like a gay guy in it, but like he's not that's really a main character or anything. So. Okay. Um, let me see what else have I been watching. Not a whole lot with queer content, I'll tell you that much. Um, oh, boo. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I've been watching like some British stuff, you know, my my okay. British crime dramas that I really like. Um, and I've been watching a terrible reality show that I told you about, um, Ambulance, where they just follow EMTs oh, yeah. in England. So who are not very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, healthcare—it's complicated. It's it is. difficult. We are not doing it well. They are also apparently not doing it very well. <laughs> if someone is doing it well, let us we, know. We should get on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you should make like a PowerPoint or something. <laughs> what? It, what'll it say? Like this is bad. This is mm-hmm. also bad. Mm-hmm. We are doing bad. <laughs> the no, the the people that are doing it right should make a PowerPoint saying this is what we do. You oh, I thought you were saying I thought you were saying I should make a PowerPoint. No, not you like, personally. <laughs> <laughs> you should tell us how bad we're doing, Hannah. Uh, someone has to. It's never been said before. <laughs> this is brand new information. This is groundbreaking stuff <laughs> from one of our greatest minds. Um <laughs> Have you been watching anything with queer content? Unlike yes, me? I have. I am caught up on Euphoria. Um, we are recording on a Saturday, so tomorrow um, there will be an episode. Unless was it over? Was that the season finale after the Super Bowl? 
who's to say, y'all? I'm a little lost. Um, but Euphoria has some queer content, Avi, Rue, and Jules. Um, I'm not going to ruin it because it kind of just is still happening. Um, so I won't give any spoilers, but I will say if anything happens to my baby Fez, um, I'll kill somebody. (laughs) I just love him so much. Um, I don't think, I think this week is the season finale, um, because it's the premiere of one of the girls, um, plays that they're putting on at the school. They're like, basically it's like a satire on their own lives. So everyone's going to get called out and it's going to get wild. (laughs) So we'll see. Anyway, I love Euphoria and I know a lot of people don't like it. They feel like it it glorifies drugs and alcohol use, but I don't think it does at all. I think like maybe the first season might seem like that from the outside because you're like, oh, I'm just watching teens do this and there's no consequences and they're having fun or whatever and it's fine. But ultimately, like it all comes crashing down in the season. So um, it's a very ugly side of addiction that we see from Rue, who's played by Zendaya, who does a phenomenal job like just fucking amazing job of portraying a person going through addiction, going through withdrawal. It is very sad. I cried a lot this season. Um, what else have I been watching with queer content? Um, I don't know. I can't think of any. I watch a lot of content. Like I watched um, all of Love Island UK. I watched one season of Love Island Australia, and I wanted to gouge my eyes out. They are terrible. We don't watch them anymore. Fuck Australia. <laughs> Damn. Tell us how no, you really like, feel. I, how did they pick these people to be on here? They were like, let's get the worst people we've ever met in our lives. And that was them. I They're mean, we people. have we have Jersey Shore representing the United That's States. True. And like Bad Girls Club. Yeah. Like, I, I see that. But I don't know. I, I do have one other thing I can talk about briefly. Okay. I already talked about it extensively with you. So, sorry for the, like, deja vu here, but um, I read the book, This Is How You Lose the Time War, Mm -hmm. um, and that is very queer. It is about two time-traveling spies Mm -hmm. um, in a time war that fall in love, and most of the book is just letters between the two of them. And they have to, like, keep their relationship secret, obviously, because they're enemies in the time war. Um, and it's so it's like it's like a sci-fi sci-fi light, I would say, because although okay. it is very sci-fi ish, it's not hard sci-fi. There's no like explaining of the mechanics of the world. Um, the world building is very like imagery based, not explanation based. And so people that are really into sci-fi will struggle with that I think Um, because it's definitely more on the romance side of things that's what the core of the book is Mm -hmm. but I really loved it and I think anyone should read it if they're looking for something a little different with some queer rep in it Um, it had been on my list for a while when you had told me about it so I recently bought it um, and then I lent it to Ange my girlfriend so she could read it so because she'll read anything sapphic I really can't wait to hear about how much she hates it (laughs) <laughs> you should text her and be like, are you hating it? Um, she's going to try and read it by the end of the night because it's pretty short. Um, I read 
something with queer characters in it, and I can't fucking remember what it is right now. Um, oh, um, Aristotle and Dante dive into the waters of the world. It is a sequel. Oh, um, I didn't know there was a sequel. Yeah, so that that's the sequel to Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. I think that's what it's called. Um, it is so good. It was so touching. I cried. It was, it's so, I don't know, it's such an interesting way to look at young Latinx gay men. It's so very poetic and I think it's very intellectual and I don't think that they're often portrayed that way. I think oftentimes when you talk about a young Latinx gay man, it's like, oh, he's in a gang or, oh, he doesn't even know what's going on with himself. And I think in this one, like, it's an exploration of 1980s sexuality in the height of the AIDS epidemic. And he, yeah, he doesn't understand what's, what that means for him, but he is a very intelligent person. He's very self-aware. Um, and he grows so much in this book. The main character is Aristotle. Um, and his boyfriend, Dante, is so very sweet. And he's shown to be someone who has, like, flaws in this one. He's not just on some pedestal for Aristotle. So I do love it. And it ends with a big romantic gesture. I read These Witches Don't Burn. Um, I haven't read the other one. It is going to be a trilogy, I think. Um, and that is queer. It is very sapphic. It is um, two young teenage witches. Um, they're part of a big coven through their families and they face an adversary and they have to work together for it and about it. So you should read that one. I actually really enjoyed it. It's very fun. It's very interesting. Um, and it's very cute. Oh, I did read, um, The Gunkle. Yeah, that was cute. Um, The Gay Uncle. (laughs) Well, I got that, but what is it? It's about a guy who, whose best friend... Um, who was married to his brother. She died of cancer. Um, and he lives in Palm Springs by himself. He is an ex-television star. And because his brother um, goes to rehab, his brother needs someone to watch the kids, his niece and nephew, of mm. the mom that just died. So he takes them in, and it's about him like navigating life with them. And they help him like navigate his grief of her. And mm-hmm. his grief of his um, deceased spouse. So it's very sad, but it is also very funny. Um, it's very timely, I think. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. So I liked it a lot. Um, I did an audiobook, and it was great on audiobook. And I don't really like audiobooks that much, so that says a lot. And then also um, the Aristotle and Dante one, I should have done it on audiobook because Lynn Manuel Miranda reads it. But I didn't, uh, and I should have. Y'all, I'm still trying to get Sarah to watch Hamilton on Disney Plus. I. So Tyler, shout out to Tyler, um, had said that we would go see Hamilton. So then I have to, I have to, I feel like, because I'm so hard of hearing, I feel like I have to watch it, and like put the subtitles on. I highly support you doing that because I totally get the impulse to be like, oh, I want it to be Mm -hmm. a new experience, but... I want that too, but I don't think I can. (laughs) Yeah, the the lyrics slash dialogue, whatever you want to call it, is so rapid fire and it's so layered with like double entendres and stuff that Mm -hmm. you kind of have to, you have to watch it with the captions first so that you can know what's going on. 
I've heard that all his stuff is like that. And having seen Encanto, I can say that that's also probably true. Like, mm-hmm. I had to have subtitles on for that. I have watched it twice since then. And I pick up on something new every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. Just particularly from song dialogue. So, mm-hmm. um, Y'all should watch Encanto. It's really cute. It's not traditional. It doesn't have, like, a main villain, per se. But it's very mystical, and it's very sweet. And it, like, incorporates a lot of latinx culture like from south america um and everyone's like likable and cute i love it the only thing i know about it is that that one song blew up they played on the fucking radio and that's I not know. the song i expected to blow up <laughs> and that the character designers really pushed for that one woman character to be like muscular I don't know her name, but... Louisa. Louisa mm-hmm. is one of the sisters, and she is strong. That's her power. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, like, almost from, like, a magical standpoint, it doesn't make sense that she's muscular, because, like, if that's just her power, then she would be strong magically. Like, but I think it's really cool that they're showing someone with, like, a tall body, a big body, a bulky body, be, like, a woman. She goes around wearing a dress... She's not gay. She doesn't seem to be gay. Um, Not that I have anything wrong with that, but it's interesting that anytime there's, like, a masculine-looking woman, she's gay. Like, she doesn't have to be. Um, And she has, like, a sweet, sensitive side, but she also kind of has, like, a deep, raspy voice. And she has a whole song to herself. I love her. Yeah, I'll have to watch it eventually. I, I, I just struggle with watching, like quote-unquote kids movies and I know I know that it's not like that but for me it kind of is and I like I don't know I'm not even sorry I watch like every fucking Disney movie that comes out I love that for you I love that for you (laughs) I can't do it (laughs) um including Luca I know we haven't talked about that on the podcast because I came out like during our little hiatus uh Luca (laughs) is like hiatus that's (laughs) um Luca is as we're calling it uh call me by your name for kids (laughs) It's I've heard that so many times, and I'm just like, yikes. It's very cute. It's like, um, there's a kid that lives, like, in this little Italian seaside town, and then there's, like, people that live by it, and they can't be seen by humans. Like, they think humans are all evil or whatever. The kid is actually a person, and when you're out of the water, you have legs. When you're in the water, you're a person covered in scales. Um, so he shows, like, the person who thinks he can't get out of the water, Luca, um, like how to live amongst humans and it's very cute and very sweet and it's very Italian um, and I love it and they like you could tell they have like it looks like they have a romantic relationship like it just seems that way so mm-hmm. it's not explicitly said but I think they're in love <laughs> see that that whole premise just screams fan fiction to me like I mean, it's a kid's movie. <laughs> I know, but it's just, there's so many tropes there. It's wild. I so think I it's can, very sweet. I guess it does sound like Call Me By Your Name, but mm-hmm. only because they're in Italy. Well, and the other one is like a little bit older. He's a little bit wiser. He's teaching the other one. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> we know how that goes, that trope in gay male fiction. We don't always love to see it. I don't always always love to see it. I actually don't love to see it in Call Me By Your Name. I think it was played up in the movie a little too much for me. And in the book, it doesn't feel like the age difference is as played up. 
Like, in the movie, it looks like he's, like, 40, and then, like, <laughs> Elio's, like, 10. Like, it's so wild. Uh, for more on that, please reference uh, episode 10, Bad Vibes Only, is where we talk about that. <laughs> yeah, check about, check out that one, y'all, if you've seen Call Me By Your Name. All right, y'all. I don't know what we're going to watch next or when it will be. But we did say we were going to try to, like, pick this back up again a little more. We're going to try, I promise. We are. I think part of it was, like, we kept waiting for, like, the pandemic to settle down so we could record in person again because it's a much different experience. Yeah. And then Omicron Um, happened. (laughs) And it's, like, still happening forever and all eternity. Um, Trying not to be all, like, bad vibes only about it, but it's hard. So... (laughs) We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, We're rooting for humanity, I guess you could say. I mean, I'm not. Not really. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Couldn't be me rooting for humanity. (laughs) So we are bad vibes only, is what you're saying. (laughs) I think just when you say humanity as a whole, like, I don't have a very rosy view. So then I'm like, oh no, to say I'm rooting for humanity sounds a little wild. I mean, if you had to pick a side... Humanity or coronavirus? Which one would you pick? Yeah, I guess I'd go with humanity on that one, but I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy. Yeah, I didn't didn't say you would be happy. It was like the last election. Which one Mm. would you pick? Mm, Yeah, it is very Mm. much that vibe. Yeah. And we're not happy about it. We're not. No. Just, it is what it is. (laughs) And here we are today. Ugh, don't remind me. You reminded you. I know. I know. I'm sorry for going on a tangent, y'all. I know that you missed us, and I know that you missed this. I choose to believe that in my heart. Yay! All two of our fans. They're our friends. What's up, Jordan? Hi, friends. <laughs> Hi Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Rob's listening. Hi, Rob. Hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know when we'll be back, but hopefully it'll be sooner than a full fucking year. I'm, like, rooting for a month, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I don't know, because, like, not to be, like, one of those people, but, like, March is my birthday month, so. <laughs> like, if we're going to be hanging out, I'm going to want it to be, like, more about the Cheesecake Factory and less about oh podcasting. <laughs> if we could go back to the Cheesecake Factory, I'll be, just be happy with that. I think we, I mean, I don't want to speak too soon, but I think we probably could and eat outside. I think so. Yeah. I think. We'll see. Rooting for the Cheesecake Factory, y'all. <laughs> yeah, ask me again. Who am I rooting for? Who are you rooting for? The Cheesecake Factory or coronavirus? The Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> and I'm very happy to say that. You're right. You should say it. <laughs> and if you remind me that, like, humanity created the Cheesecake Factory, then I'm, like, a little bit more That's on right. humanity side. I'm like, okay. Right. Anyone who creates a turtle cheesecake, I mean, you're up there in my book. <laughs> need that key lime cheesecake that's that right. banana cream cheesecake anyway that... <laughs> talk about a tangent that's the longest ever um menu so we could be here all night <laughs> we could just would you guys like that if we just read you <laughs> the cheesecake read the factory menu? menu it would be longer oh than a podcast episode i think mm, it's gonna be a no for me doug <laughs> all right well hopefully we will hopefully we will speak to you again soon mm-hmm. not that that's creepy or anything um (laughs) in the meantime remember the queers are watching
Bye. Bye.